My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to have a cough. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. As always, those are Burn Noticed with a D that's the name of our show and not the name of the actual show. Although, frankly, it should be. It should be. I think they should go back and then George Lucas style re-edit the show. So it's called Burn Noticed. Because it's in the past now. It was called Burn Notice at the time because that was the present. But it's, it's past tense now. Yeah. It's a show yeah. that's over. So all all television shows should have their titles in past tense once they're done airing. Um, ooh. Outlanded. Outlanded, yes. Uh. <laughs> I was just... I was, Brie Castellini, I was just about to say outlanded. <laughs> You're on the same page. On the same page, speaking of. I am almost done with season one of Outlander. Yes, audience. Wait, you I still have haven't finished season watched... one? Yeah, well, I got distracted by other television shows. I was like finishing. <sighs> Here's the problem. The back half of season one of Outlander is a slog and a half. It's like not the best television. I really like the front it, half. Yeah, it picks up. It, like, don't like the back half all that much. And so I got distracted and started watching Lovecraft Country and Mr. Robot instead. But I will get back to Outlander. Have you have you gotten to Wentworth Prison yet? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's that... the other thing. I knew that I think... Here's the thing. I'm on the episode. I still have never watched it. I, no. I skip it. <laughs> here's the thing. I got to that episode... And I was watching it. I realized, like, oh, this is that episode. And then I just turned it off. Yeah, that's fair. It, I turned it off and I was like, no, I don't want to do it. But I get you. I feel the same way about a similar scene in season one of The Magicians. Brie Castellini, Andrew Williams likes The Magicians now. Done this. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that surprised. It seems like something he'd get into. Yeah, no, it's good. But, like, yeah, but it has a similar scene at the end of its season one where it's like, Ugh, a graphic man-on-man rape scene? Well, a graphic rape scene. Yeah, my 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 uh, galaxy brain theory about Outlander is that Donna Galbadon, or however you pronounce her name, the author of the original series, has a rape fetish. Um, oh, no, 100%. And, <laughs> like, no, and like, there's so much of it, and it's all 100% unnecessary. Because, like, here's the thing. I think season two is interesting of burnt of, of burnt notice fuck uh, of Outlander, and I because I think it is interesting to watch a like traditionally like masculine man ha- dealing with the fallout of sexual trauma because that's not something we get. It's and I think True. that it's explored really interestingly, and I think that they do, especially in the show, a really interesting job of balancing it and trying to figure out like you know watching these characters find their way back to each other even when they are physically together, but very much so separated by trauma. Um, and and like I, but I also don't know why. I mean, like non-con fic is a thing. 
It definitely is. Well, and that's just what I'm saying. It's like, I think the reason that there is truly so much rape in Outlander, uh, and there is, I will give the show less rape in the show. There's a lot of rape in the books, but there's only, as far as I can tell, one plot required rape that happens. Only one mm. in all of Outlander so far. Uh, but there's a lot more than that that actually yeah, happens. That's like, it's really bad. It's not fun to watch. It's not good. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's clearly like her thing. Yeah. I, I think that she is somebody who read a lot of romance books and her favorite ones are non-con or like shaky con, you know, or like yeah. kidnapping, forced into a situation, like Stockholm Syndrome no, kind of like stuff. thing. And like, listen, like, I don't want to kink shame. But, but yeah. once you're out of your fan fiction, where there is sort of an established norm, I, mean, I just think it's yeah. kind of irresponsible. I don't know. And we don't it, need I it. I mean, yes. I don't know. I think it's the thing of, like, there's lots of books like this. Like, have you watched Lindsay Ellis's dive into the world of, like... The Omegaverse? Yeah, the Omegaverse. Oh, of course. It's not like there's not money to be made, like, doing that kind of thing. It just and feels, like, especially in terms of, like, I, I also think that, like, it is the just problem wild that, like, of the show. This is one. Yeah, the thing is that, like, it's wild that this one became a TV show. Well, I mean, there's something, the, the books are very good. Like, I enjoy the yeah. books. And I think that the premise is really strong and really cool. And, like, my God, the chemistry between the two leads that they found. Like, every review that I found of this show, the first thing they say is, so the chemistry between... <laughs> Sam Hewen and Katrina Balfe is out of this world. No, they have great chemistry. Which is amazing because, like, the guy who plays Jamie looks like Jared Padalecki cosplaying Jamie from Doctor Who. Like, how dare you? Sam Hewen is one of the most gorgeous men in the entire planet. He looks like Jared Padalecki, though. He does not. He, He does. What? I, here's the thing. I don't think. Jared Padalecki is unattractive. He's a, just a charisma black hole. And something I will say for Sam Hewen is that he is so attractive, he does not need to be talented. And yet he is absolutely one of the most talented actors yeah, no, I've ever he, watched. He, like, yeah, no, he's like if Jared Padalecki could act. <laughs> something we talked about off mic, because uh, Chris banned this conversation from last episode. So I've been waiting all week to talk about Outlander, uh, is that I have gotten back into Outlander because I had like a very intense couple of months last year where I got into it for the first time, which was well documented all... in this show. <laughs> exactly. Our audience is um, and... full well. And then I got to the, then the end of season five happened and gratuitous rape again. And it didn't need to be that way. Like this time it was like, it definitely doesn't need to be this way. It absolutely does not need to be this way. And so that kind of bummed me out that. And I was in the middle of a book of one of the Outlander books where there was like a lot of rape. And I was like, maybe I need to take a break. So I took about a year's break, but now I'm back into it. And I just rewatched the first two, first three seasons. Season three is absolutely speaking of buck wild from last episode of burn notice. Season three of outlander is buck wild. Like I am so curious to hear. What I am you think so excited it. to get to like that version of the show and not the version. I mean, of the season show two, that I'm can, right season two now. gets Buck Wild. Season see, I, I, that, see, we we want opposite things. I want them to just be in magical Scotland forever. But anyways, but yeah, I'm back into reading the books, and now I just know so much about how to set somebody's knee if yeah. it gets dislocated. 
I mean, honest, honest to God, the most important thing that a television show can and should be is Buck Wild. Yeah, I just got past um, a scene in the book where Jamie f- fingers her to completion during a like wedding party. Delightful. <laughs> God, I love this horny heterosexual nonsense. Oh my God, which is funny because you're neither of those things. I know. But I don't know. There's something sort of comfortingly basic about it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, like, I have embraced my, like, inner basic bitch by watching it. Yeah. Anyway, talking about a show that could stand to be a little more buck wild. Yeah, and a lot more horny. Burn Notice. It could do with a little less heterosexuality, though. Because <laughs> this oh, yes. Burn Notice is a pretty heterosexual show. It is. I mean, so is Outlander. <laughs> Well, right, but, I'm, but what I'm saying is Burnt Notice, I would argue, is almost as heterosexual as Outlander, but in, like, a totally different direction. Oh, totally. 100%. What episode are we talking about this week, Chris? We're talking about uh, Season 4, Episode 16, Dead or Alive. It aired on <gasps> December 9th, 2010. It was written by Lisa Joy, Woo-woo. Pushing Daisies in Westworld fame. And the new Fallout TV series, Lisa Joy, Please Hire Me. And the new, yes. And a guy named Peter Markle, whose career, this is the only episode of Burn Notice that he ever directed. Um, He's got a lot of those. He's like one of those guys that's directed like one episode of like a bunch of shows. Mm -hmm. And he also, the second thing he ever directed was a movie from 1984 called Hot Dog the Movie. And here's the thing that you need to understand about Hot Dog the Movie is that like it's Hot Dog Ellipses the movie it couldn't be any other way chris it's not even hot dog colon the movie it's hot dog ellipses the movie apparently it's almost it like is a threat <laughs> it's like <Yes>. hot dog <gasps> and then the movie <gasps> what do you think hot dog the movie is about Ooh, um i think it is about a young man on the cusp of adulthood at his very last summer uh fair like a like you know like the um, like county fair it's like the last county fair of the last summer that he will be officially a child and he is sort of trying to like stretch his uh his adulthood and you know he was a very shy teenager but uh at this and and like when he was a kid like he always had his parents like order him food because he was too nervous to like talk to people like shopkeeps it like on, on his own but you know he's about to be an adult damn it and so at his last uh summer uh festival he is going to get himself a hot dog. And so the, the the movie is a quest for this young man, this coming of age story about this young man trying to work up the courage to ask for a hot dog for himself at the summer fair. It's actually about horny skiers. That's disappointing. No, yeah. Because like, apparently it was a thing, like kind of bad boy skiers were called hot doggers. I prefer my coming of age story about a boy finding his voice. And I'm imagining it in really like, soft like yellow golden tones you know it's like basically the whole movie takes place at magic like hour. magic yeah. hour because like in the way know, that like the movies, sun's setting the time is running out like the way that movies looked in the 90s yeah like it i'm getting a like very like bridge of terabithia yes. vibes but like less tragic or like yeah or like older like kind of almost sandlotty i never saw the sandlot but that vibe but no yeah actually no i watched the trailer for it and it's like horrifying it's like we were so much grosser in the 80s. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, all these footage of, like, dudes skiing and, like, hitting on women. 
Like at one point, mm. like at one point, a woman go, a guy goes, "Now there's a woman I could take advantage of." Yeah, it was horrifying. Second movie, uh, Peter Markle. This is the only episode that he directs. I we always speculate that these one-off guys are people that no one wants to work with, and I think that's sometimes unfair. But also, I'm not going to be too fair to the director of Hot Dog the movie. <laughs> Listen, we all have useful indiscretions, Chris. That's fair. Anyway, the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is when Michael recruits Marv to help turn in the list of the authorities, Sam plots revenge when he finds out that an old police buddy of his was killed under the orders of his dirty partner. This episode gets fucking dark in some places. I kind of liked it. I I don't know. We'll talk about it. You want to talk about it in the weeds? Let's, Let's talk get about it in the weeds. Let's All get right, on in there. Cool. So... You are right. It like it starts in the dark though, because like it starts with Michael sitting in the dark like he does and brooding. And as Jesse enters and they discuss their plan, they're gonna give the list to the government because it's the right thing to do. And in this case, the yes. government is Marv, who will in turn try to get them back in. Can I say really quickly is that at the end of the last episode, Sam was like, "I guess we gotta figure out who it is that we trust enough and is safe enough to like give this list to and this episode they're immediately like we're gonna give it to marv i was like do we trust marv marv is our guy apparently like i mean he seems okay like he's been kind of nice in the past but also he seemed like kind of scummy and it's like why are we why is marv the guy that we trust and i will say my worry was totally justified yep but yes the thing is that marv doesn't trust michael because like he's heard things so michael demands to have a meeting with marv and at this meeting marv says the only way that he and his superiors will trust michael is that if he comes clean about all of his connections with management and the people who burned him like we gotta know everything like all the shit that you've done with these people so he hooks up michael to a polygraph and asks him his name and occupation to which michael replies my name is Michael Weston. I used to be a spy. And here's the thing. I dig that shit every time. I, l- I know. Love you. This time it got to me a little bit. This time it got to me. Um, I will say, first of all, I swear to God, there's been a scene in Burn Notice already about how it's so easy to fucking Light. fake a polygraph. Right, yeah. And I think at this point in actual history, polygraphs have been banned from like inclusion in like court cases because they're so fucking unreliable. Yeah. Um, but also, third thing about this scene is that I kind of wished Michael Weston had given a name to whatever the fuck he's currently doing. Like I want to know in Michael Weston's own words what he thinks what his he job thinks is his job. right no, now. No, here's the thing. He thinks he doesn't have a job. <laughs> he doesn't want to do work. He can't commit to the idea of him having a job. I'm Michael Weston, reluctant freelancer. Yes. But yeah, he used to be a spy. Aren't we all, Michael? I love it. No, I love it every time. I love that bit in Veronica Mars where she says we used to be friends a long time ago. I love it. I'm a sucker <laughs> for that specific kind of thing. That's so corny, and it seems so unlike you. Like, you're not the type of person who I associate that kind of corniness with, but I really appreciate that layer to you. No, yeah, I love that specific kind of corny. That, like, specific kind of, like, slightly bending on the fourth wall kind of corny. I like it when it feels earned. And I, th- I liked it this time. Yeah. I enjoyed this They one. also did this another one, one of those things where, like, the the opening titles come up from behind Michael's head. Yeah, it was. It's not quite as clean of a transition, so I'm not going to jiff it for you guys. But yeah. uh, I also noticed that as well. Yeah, no, it's not as wild as the one with the fire from last time. 
it's so it good. Was, yeah, anyway. But, and and a cold. cold open. So uh, we come back and Jesse is getting some documents that he has hidden at Madeline's and he lets it slip that they're going to get back into their jobs. And Madeline is not happy. Like she says, like, that's good. But like, she is furious. And that's it. It's a real quick scene. And mm-hmm. Sam brings Michael his old like logs from when he used to watch Michael for the feds in order to jog his memory about all his contacts, which was confusing to me because as good as that scene was, then the cold open that made me happy, I assumed that he did all of the polygraphing he was going to do. Like I was very confused as to like, why does he still need to give Marv information? I thought he gave Marv all the information, but apparently I assumed it was going to take a couple of times. Like, they're both busy people. They can't just fucking sit in a room together for eight hours. I mean, it would not take me eight hours to summarize everything that's happened on this show. Yeah, but would you remember the names of all the management that's, people other than Frazier's dad? That's very fair. And Carla and Victor. Oh, fuck. I know all yeah, of them. God damn exactly. it. But anyway, but Michael doesn't. <laughs> Michael does not. So, like, yeah, he needs Sam to jog his memory with all these old logs where we learn, amongst other things, that back when... Sam used to inform on Michael to the FBI. He kept a daily yogurt tally. Honestly, this is my favorite thing that's ever happened on Burn Notice. And once again, prophesized our rise. Exactly. No, like Burn Notice characters. Burn Notice knows that we're doing this. Burn Notice characters. They're they just like us. <laughs> no, they're saying hello, Brian, Chris. I mean. We see you. They already did in the cold open. That's they're- true. Hey, are you... Were there any actual yogurts in this episode? Speaking of yogurt talent? No, it was just like a mention of yogurt. Damn you, Lisa Joy. Yeah. I will say like... So her second solo episode, also no yogurts in that. Lisa Joy tends to write off-brand Burn Notice episodes. Like we talked... That's we, fair. we talked last week about how like there were not enough spy tips. There were not enough spy tips this week either, but we'll get to spy tips. But like, I think she tends to like... Because I think like, this is not her bag. She does... She does other different things. Yeah. Um, I will say it was interesting that she wrote this episode because this is a very masculine episode. Yeah, I, I was surprised when I went back to like take tally of, of who wrote this that I was surprised that it was her. I wouldn't have guessed it from the episode. No, yeah, it's like the it's a very male episode. Anyway, uh, after we learn about the yogurt tally, uh, Sam mentions that he has a gig, like for himself. He's not trying to involve Michael yet. He's got a cop buddy of his has gone missing and his wife is worried. And Michael's like, you mean this dirty cop that's all over the news and he just happens to have a newspaper? And like the newspaper's like, dirty cop is dirty. And then Sam goes like, you of all people know you shouldn't believe everything you read. And Michael's like, yeah, I did just talk about that in the last cold open. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you right you got me there yeah anyway so sam meets with the cop's wife claire and the cop's partner pete the cop's name is kevin everyone has the most boring white people names oh yeah because jeff and billy from yes, last episode, jeff and billy from last episode. this episode is about kevin and pete and then there's a yeah every time they say you killed kevin like i snorted yeah and like i'm sorry all people whose names is, are kevin but i can't take seriously anytime something bad happens to you because your name your is name kevin. is kevin the kevins are good for one thing it's and it's for being left alone on christmas <laughs> and also there's another guy coming up later named ted literally it's just like bottom of the barrel boring white people names and to be fair these are all boring white people yes anyway but yeah, Sam meets with Claire and Pete, who both say that this cop 
Kevin was a literal saint who only ever arrested people who kicked puppies, and definitely was not the kind of guy who would steal drugs and hang with drug dealers. It's just that there's all this pesky evidence. And so Sam's like, well, I'm going to look into it. So he brings some info that he's gathered to the group. It turns out really quickly can i say that as soon as we met claire and pete i was like oh pete fucking killed this dude pete's a bad guy i don't i don't know anything about this episode but this motherfucker who's just like hanging out with his partner's wife he's the bad guy like from scene one i was like it's the bad guy this is the bad guy right here yeah no definitely and we find this out really quickly but i figured like is there going to be a double twist is she going to be in on it too no women aren't interesting enough in burn but a woman wrote this one be in on it i know but i didn't notice that at the time that's the thing it's just like anyway i mean claire has some good moments she has better moments than a lot of women I always say she has a lot of as like dignity. the client's wife she yeah. has more dignity than women get on this show a lot especially why and she's slightly more integral to the plot yes. than just like cries during their meetings that they obligatorily have no yeah i think she's yeah i think she's not like a great character or anything but like she's written better than like she has stuff to do anyway so sam brings some info to the group it turns out this cop uh was actually doing an off the books investigation and made a lot of calls to this criminal named ted sam wants to go talk to this ted and asks if the gang will help him and they're like yeah sure i guess like they're all they don't even like they don't put up a fight because they know that they're gonna do it they're not happy about doing it like but like michael knows ever since the earlier scene where sam was like i got a gig that he was like oh i'm gonna have to do this (laughs) i have to do this so like they've already decided that like yeah we're gonna we're gonna do it so they go find this ted guy who I swear is driving the car from last week, except that he's put hydraulics on it, which greatly offends Sam. (laughs) It's a very bouncy vehicle. It's a very bouncy vehicle. They ask Ted about uh, Kevin, and he immediately and pathetically bolts. And, like, Sam and Michael don't even, like, try. They, like, kind of jog after him for a second, and they're like, ah, fuck it. And then... Because Jesse pops up and immediately tases him. Yeah, see, I thought that we were about to do a thing where, because Jesse is allegedly so much younger than them, that Michael and Sam would get to do, like, the old guy thing where they're like, ah, we'll let the young yeah. looker snapper at him. And I thought that, like, Jesse would have to run after him. Jesse tasering him is also funny, but I was sort of hoping for, like, Michael and, and Sam to just sort of, like, old man jeer at him as he had to do the young man thing and sprint after the bad guy. That also would have been good, but Ted isn't worthy of it. That's the thing. He's Ted not. is pathetic. Honestly, Ted is the most aptly named oh, yeah, person no, in this exactly. episode. Ted looks like a fucking no, he Ted. he looks like a Ted. If he looked any more like Ted, he would do a talk. He does do he a does talk. He does do a talk. He talks quite a bit. Exactly. In fact, we're about to get to that because after he gets tased, Fee, like, throws him in the trunk of the charger and they take him to, like, a big kind of, like, storage container and they do a Ted talk. And during the Ted talk, we learn that Kevin's partner, Pete, was the dirty cop. Yes, obviously. Yes. Look at his face. Yeah. That man has never been clean in his life. It's always interesting. And I was talking about this with Andrew the other day. Like, it's always interesting when you see an actor where you can tell that they were cast for after the turn. Mm-hmm. And like, they're... Lucy Lawless. Exactly. Yes, exactly like Lucy Lawless, where it's like, we cast this we cast this actor because they're really good at playing the part after, after the reveal. And it kind of mm-hmm. undercuts the reveal because it's like, ugh. This person seems fishy. But yes, it turns out that Pete was dirty, but Kevin got wise. And so Pete got Ted to kill him. It's, again, everyone has such boring white guy names. But yeah, like, apparently, like, because Ted is, like, a drug 
dealer or a drug guy. He knows people and he's the one. We actually learn at this point that that Kevin is dead. Like we thought he was just missing, but now we know that he's dead. Yeah, or on the run or had, you know, run from the law or run for his life. But no, he's he's not running. He's dead. And Sam is pissed and wants to clear Kevin's name because, quote, that is all his family has. And the gang who's already agreed to help agrees to help again. Um, And we also get this short, like, wordless scene or like this, like, MOS scene with, like, voiceover from Michael where, like, Sam tells Claire what happened and she breaks down and then he broods in the car in the dark, all Batman-like, and then Michael monologues masculinity in a voiceover. And that's all, which is so interesting. It's so dripping with masculinity in this episode, which is, again, interesting. Maybe... Maybe she needed it for her portfolio. Everyone was like, you do women characters really well, but can you write men? Yeah. And she was like, oh, I'll fucking I'll show write, you. I'll write I'll men. write some men. Anyway, it's the next day at Carlito's. You can tell that Sam's in a bad place because he isn't drinking. And then Fee and Michael show up and decide that the best move is to get Pete caught with the drugs that he stole. And since they have Ted, who's Pete's drug guy, they'll have Ted set up a meeting. So Sam and Jesse go back to Ted in the tin can and tell him, that he's got to set up a meeting with uh, Pete and Michael, who's got, who's playing a guy named Ray, who's going to be a drug dealer, and he's like a new drug dealer in town. And if like, and if Ted doesn't do this, Sam is going to do that torture thing he likes so much. Ted is so afraid of Pete. Here's the thing about this episode: is that like the thing that makes Pete scary theoretically is that he's a cop, but like Pete also seems. But we never see that. Side no, we of don't. Him. The thing that makes cops scary is that they have institutional power the problem yeah that's the thing the problem with like cops is like the thing that makes cops bad is not dirty cops it's that like cops as a like group have shitty institutional power like that's you know so like it's the same reason why like it's like a white people thing it's like the reason that white people are scary is not because, like, one scary white guy did something. No, of course. Because the power of being white and living with so much privilege and having so much power in society, like, could cause even the theoretically nicest looking white person to be deeply, deeply toxic right. to everyone around them. Anyway, so Ted makes a call. Uh, and Sam shows up at Claire's because Pete is there because Pete also showed up and she wants him to not be. So Sam tells Pete that he hasn't had any luck on the investigation, just kind of dead end. And Pete tells Claire that Kevin will probably come back to her. I mean, he just, she just has to wait for him. And then he kisses her on the cheek. It's gross. It's effective. It is though. effective. Like it, like it, it's supposed to be gross. It's awful. No, yeah. And and like this is what I'm saying about like the wife getting to do way more. It's like usually the wife just like worries, and we meet up with her two to three times an episode, and she's like, ah, my husband, ah, my son, ah, and then at the end she's like tearfully reunited she's like, and very happy. Oh, my husband. But, like, this woman. Ah, oh, my son. Exactly, but this this woman like has to be a part of the scam and pretend like her recently discovered dead husband is alive. Um, or I guess that's a little but bit like later, also, but like she has to like, she's got to pretend like she doesn't she know has, anything and she doesn't know that this guy's yeah, awful. And she has to like deal with this guy who definitely got her husband killed, if not killed him her, himself yeah. uh, and pretend like everything's fine. And like, that's, that's more interesting than most of the women in this show get when they're the client's wife yeah. or like the victim's wife. Exactly. But yeah, he acts real gross, and then Sam, politely as possible, shoves him out the door. So that, meanwhile, Fee drives Michael to a hotel meeting with Marv. But before he goes in, 
he and Fee get into this discussion about how Fee feels about him getting his job back, and they land on Fee wants him to have the opportunity to get his job back, but also she wants him to turn the opportunity down. So she's going to work really hard to make sure he has the opportunity to tell the CIA to go fuck themselves. Yeah. Well, I also think that it's supposed to be about, like, you know, they, they've had this fight on and off for four seasons now. And I think for her, she doesn't just want him to be with her. She wants him to choose yes, her. Yes, that makes sense. And I, I get no, that. No, that makes sense. Because at this point, it, like, I appreciate that she's not just going to rehash the old arguments. And I appreciate that she allegedly has the self-esteem to be like, you know what? I only want to be with somebody who chooses me. Yeah. So. Also, speaking of, I have not seen anything cute or sweet out of Michael and Fee for a long right. time. What are they to each other? They haven't even so much as like given each other like a peck good morning or had like a sexy pointing guns at each other fuck sesh. No, like they don't even have a sexy bomb making this episode. No. Or like, you know, he doesn't just like I, I, at, during like a br- debriefing, just sort of like calmly touch the small of her back to, you know, get a little bit yeah. of a closeness during an otherwise hectic episode. No, yeah. Like, they feel very much like work colleagues. They do feel like work colleagues. Who occasionally flirt. Yeah. And by who occasionally flirt, I mean sometimes Fee says a kind of flirtatious thing at him. Well, that's the thing. It's like you said, I think, last week or maybe earlier in this episode, who can remember, um, that, like, Michael, like, like isn't going to check in or, like, keep maintain these things. He's just like, okay, yeah, we're together. Cool. I don't have to think about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's like... He does, he's not going to keep saying, like, keep flirting. He's got shit to do. Yes, he's already gotten her. And that's one thing that I will say that I really like about Outlander, both book and series, is that, like, even well into the two characters' relationship, they still, like, do the maintenance. Yeah. You know? Like, no, that's it's, where it's the not, show it, shines. Like, because some, you know, like a lot of times, especially in TV, like once two characters who, you know, we have like a yearning back and forth for once they get together, it's sort of like, all right, cuteness over. They'll occasionally give each other a peck good morning. But like that's done. Yeah. Um, And I feel like Outlander especially is really, really good at like they keep it hot. Like, at the, you know, they're, they're they have troubles. They have trials. But like these are two people who genuinely adore each other. And they don't always agree with each other, uh, but, like, they make an effort, yeah, you know? Yeah, no. and, like, they have this attraction, and it's, like, there, and, like, we see it, like... It's present. Yeah. It's not, like, all right, check. Like, it's not checked off of it's a box. It's not like they were hot for each other, and then they got together. But they got together mm-hmm. because and they're hot for each other. Exactly. So, like, that they doesn't settle stop. into complacency. Yeah. Like, if anything, it should happen more. Exactly, because now you have the opportunity. Exactly, it's like uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Have you seen that? I have movie? seen Sweet Home Speaking Alabama. Of... It's been a long so time, it's like, but I have seen Sweet Home why, Alabama. Why would you want to marry a guy like me so I could kiss you anytime I want? It's like that. It's like that. We understand marriage. <laughs> um, Anyways, anyway, so Marv, Marv time. time. Yes. Um. So Marv tells Michael that he's checked his story out and it sounds mostly legit, but he's worried about Sam and Fee because they're wild cards. And he's also worried, and he's worried that there's more that he doesn't know about all of this stuff. And so Michael assures, Michael assures him that Sam, Fee, and Jesse are the only people who know anything about this. And so Marv agrees to meet Michael and Jesse and take the list. Is Marv trying to get him to cool it? What do you mean? Like, 
because like spoilers from the end of the episode marv is going to betray them is he trying to get michael to like is he trying to send a message to michael that maybe he shouldn't be doing this or is he like i think he's trying to get a fuller list of who else did we need to eliminate so that everyone with all of this knowledge is done it's possible although like yeah i, wh- I think it's about containing the story i think yeah that makes more sense anyway Sam knows that Pete is a cop, as we've discussed before, and thus he won't be impressed by Michael's lack of a rap sheet. So he decides that the best way to convince Pete that Michael is legit involves a lot of napalm. So he mixes up some in the loft while the two of them have a distinctly unsexy bomb-making montage. I know, no small of the back touches, no smearing C4 on each other's noses like cake batter. Yeah, no, nothing. I don't know why... I don't know why Pete's not making this bomb other than this is a Sam episode. Yeah. And Michael meets with Pete at a marina or whatever, and it's like late at night. And he introduces himself as Ray, who's a batshit drug dealer who killed Ted to cut out the middleman. He's literally like, the, Pete's like, where's Ted? It's like, I killed Ted. <laughs> like, I do like Ray. We got Ray kind of late. I like Ray a lot. We got Ray showed up a little too late in the episode for my taste. Because, like, Ray is fun. Ray's very fun. I also like any Michael Weston alias that starts with, I've killed eight people. Because, like, sometimes he has aliases like that who, like, the way his in is he killed the guy who told him this information. Yeah. And I and I like the sort of cold calculated, oh, yeah, I fucking killed oh, him. Yeah, no, I'm I'm crazy. And so, and it, I, like, I like crazy bloodthirsty Michael I Weston aliases. Too. Um, it works because he's so neutral that, mm-hmm. like, actually, he it's very easy for him to seem like a psychopath. Anyway, so when Pete tries to leave, Michael lights up a ring of napalm around them and calls it his ring of trust, which I agree is badass. It's so fun. It's, it's so, so good. good. Like, because, yeah, Pete's like, you know what? This I this is crazy. I'm going to go deal with something else. And he's like, uh, you're not leaving until we have a deal. And, you know, I know you're not going to leave. And then, yeah, like they're they're lit the fuck up in a circle. What I want to know is how do they get out of this? Do they wait for it to burn out? Does Michael have some sand too. in this pocket? I think he's got sand. He has to. He has to have sand in his pocket. Raise a guy that's got sand he's in his pocket. Here's the thing, though. Like, they don't say this in the voiceover, but a spy always has sand in his pocket. Because <laughs> sometimes you need to throw pocket sand in someone's face. Like that's, that's like, true. You just need pocket sand. That's the first thing we teach you at the CIA. You go when you're like a freshman at the CIA. You walk in first day, and like an agent throws pocket sand in your face, and you're like, "This is the FBI or the CIA, motherfucker." That's how it starts. Yep. They hand you your badge, your gun, and a little satchel of sand. <laughs> yeah. And say, "This goes in your pocket." <laughs> Pete agrees to the deal because the ring is really scary, but it turns out it's a little too scary because Pete is scared shitless and is dragging his feet on like actually doing the deal part. Michael tells Sam he has a plan about this though. He wants to pretend that Kevin is actually alive because if Pete thinks that Kevin is alive, that'll force him to like move. Sam hates this idea because Kevin was his buddy and also he especially hates it because he's going to have to like bring claire into it and claire is going to have to pretend like her dead husband is alive dark it's fucking dark. so dark sam takes jesse and they go to claire's and convince her to play along but she understandably does not want to do it like they also ask hey if kevin was still alive where would he go and she says like so many like husbands on this show well he has a boat i mean it's miami it is miami like 
I just I feel like probably I probably pretty common for people to have boats. I know, but the so weird thing, I feel like I've seen so many like wives on this show talk about their husband's boat. Like it makes sense for Miami, but maybe because I don't live in a place where boats are like a thing that everyone has, it just it feels like such a weirdly specific beat that I keep reliving over and over. But he has this boat that is like not in Miami proper. So Sam calls Pete and like tells Pete to come to the boat. And once he gets to the boat, he tells Pete that they just missed Kevin. Pete is confused and Sam says that Kevin called him and that he's okay, but he's lying low because he's working on an investigation with internal affairs and Pete is very distraught. Pete is doing a terrible job of like pretending that he did not kill Kevin in this scene. He's just like so... <laughs> I swear this man gets balder as the episode goes on. He is not having a good time. So the next part of the plan is that like Fee and I, and Jesse have to approach pete as like cops but first fee needs cop shoes and she's like where can i get cop shoes madeline madeline's gonna have some cop shoes so like she goes to madeline's and the two of them talk about how pissed madeline is that michael's getting his job back because when he has his job like he tends to just disappear like the last time he got hired by the cia he like disappeared for 10 years and she's really upset that that's going to happen again. And Fee kind of defends him, but then says, if he does disappear, I will actually kill him. So Pete goes to Claire. Claire does an admirable job acting like Kevin is alive, but that she can't talk about it. And he just freaks out all the more. And as soon as he leaves her house, Pete gets approached by Fee and Jesse, who introduce themselves as internal affairs investigators and tell him that he should not leave town. He is now freaked out enough that he can set up a meeting with Michael and he wants to he wants to set up a meeting with Michael to do the drug stuff on Kevin's boat. So Michael arrives at the boat while Fee and Sam watch, but of course when Pete arrives, it's clear that he just wants to blow up the boat. And like they notice and Michael dives out just in time to not get blown up. And so a very pissed off and very wet Michael climbs out of the water onto like the dock with a plan. If they hurry and catch Pete before he gets back to Miami proper, they can convince him to plant the drugs at Kevin's and have the cops catch him mid-drug planting. And so he calls Jesse and tells him to basically head Pete off at the pass. Like, you have to make sure that Pete doesn't get back to Miami. So Jesse creates a traffic jam, and Pete gets stuck long enough for Michael to get in his car with a gun and pull a gun on him and steal Pete's gun too. So now Michael has two guns, and he gets in the car and tells Pete to do a Yui and head back out of town. And I had to write Yui in my notes, which meant that I had to like watch the episode with captions on to see how the episode itself wrote Yui, because I've never seen anyone write Yui down before. But it is it is what Michael says. So it's U-E-Y? That's, yeah, that's how they wrote it in the closed captions. Fascinating. So Michael takes Pete to an empty parking lot and threatens to shoot him, and in the process, incepts the idea in Pete's mind that the drugs need to be planted at Kevin's place so he can suggest it as if it's his own idea. Like, he basically says, like, I was going to make you my, like, guy on the inside, but I guess I can't because they're going to be looking for those drugs. And Pete's like, well, if I plant the drugs at Kevin's, they won't be looking for it anymore. That can be your inside man. And Michael's like, cool, sure, whatever, do it. Meanwhile, Sam goes to the police station and finds this lieutenant in the parking lot, and he tries to convince him to go to Kevin's, because, like, the police have to catch Kevin while he's planting the drugs. Or, yeah, have to catch Pete while he's planting the drugs. All these fucking white people names. The alive guy is planting the drugs at the guy's house. house. Yes. And they need to prove that he's innocent. He cares so much, because this is his buddy. This is the thing about, like, 
Sam is that, as we discussed last week, he makes lots of buddies. He has lots of friends that he cares a lot about. Yeah, like, at least a quarter of all Burn Notice episodes start with an old buddy of Sam's has a problem. And, like, Sam cares so much about it. And so, like, Sam is so, like, on edge and, like, fucked in the head throughout this episode. And so he shows up and this, like... Well, his friend's dead. Yeah. But it's... No, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just, like, establishing that. Because, like, making sure that we're following that. Because he gets to this scene where he goes to this lieutenant and says, we gotta prove that he's innocent. And the lieutenant's like, no, it's fine. He's a dirty cop. Get away from me. And so Sam literally steals the lieutenant's gun from his holster in the police station parking lot. Yeah, it's, it's a baller move. It is, yeah. And then points it at him because he is desperate. And Bruce Campbell does some acting. And, like, the lieutenant's like, what the fuck? You're gonna go to, like, jail. And and then Sam's like, if you want to crucify me, I will crawl up on the cross myself. But first, you need to go to Kevin's. <laughs> and, like, and then the cop's like, all right, I guess I can spare a unit or two. Yeah, exactly. At least, like, fine. Like, yes, sure, several men will now go to this house because you pulled a gun on me. You, a person I've never met. Yeah, that's not clear. I didn't get the, imp- I wasn't sure if he had never met them before. I mean, they seem kind of- I don't of... think he's like friends with the cops. No, I, I think, think, but- He just seems like a guy who's friends with cops. I don't know. Like, they seemed very, a little familiar. Like, because the thing is that he called them Briggs. And then at one point, the lieutenant, he was like, it's Lieutenant Briggs. Like, I got the sense that they knew each other. Oh, interesting. I just assumed Sam had, like, Googled who was on the, the force and, like, found and recognized the first guy he saw. No, I I felt like he knew him. Because, like, like, he was friends with Kevin. Like, he seems to be friends with cops. And, like, Kevin was an active cop. He wasn't, like, an ex-cop or something. Like, he was, like, on the job. So, like, he seems to be friends with cops. Because he's friends with everyone. He's Sam Axe. I'm assuming that the, the ballad of Sam Axe or whatever the fuck the movie is is just a whole 90 minutes of him speed dating. I think it's him at war. Yeah, I'm almost certain that it's him at war. Anyway, so Pete and Michael arrive outside Kevin's house. And Pete keeps trying to weasel out of planting the drugs himself because Pete is a fucker. But Michael is like, no, go fucking do it. I have a gun. You fucked up real bad. Plant the goddamn drugs. And so uh, Kevin, uh, Pete sneaks in and starts putting bags of cocaine into an air vent. It's immediately caught by the police. And Sam tells him that, actually, no, Kevin's dead. And it was all a con and like, like, yeah, and Ted is alive and he's going to testify against you. But Pete is too stupid to like put it all together. And so Sam just punches him real hard. Yeah. You know what? So really quickly, just because the end of this episode did catch me by surprise. The thing that I was thinking of right as Michael as Ray was like talking Pete into going into the house with the drugs was like he was giving me kind of like slightly more incompetent Brennan vibes because one thing we really liked about Brennan's first episode is that he like seemed like he was on side and then was so paranoid that he actually made good decisions because it like threw our guys off and they had to keep like you know improv improving and like improvising to to keep up with his own like paranoia uh, and that guy was giving me those vibes so the fact that then brennan shows up at the end of this episode i was like oh yeah, spoiler that's fun but yes yeah but we'll get to that in a second but before we get there there's a sad scene at a funeral where claire is sad that her husband's dead but you know she worked hard and then like and then the lieutenant tells sam that he's not gonna get crucified because like <laughs> for like pulling a gun on a police lieutenant because it turns out that Kevin was a good guy after all. And hey, Sam's white. 
Yep. And also, Michael offers Sam a drink, and Sam said that he could use one, which is how we know he's going to be okay, because he can drink again. Anyway, and that's the end of that plot. But now, like, the ending, where Michael shows up at Madeline's to pick up Jesse for the Marv meeting, and Madeline tells Michael that she knows what's going on. Like, she knows that, like, this is, she's going to, that they're going to do a thing to get their jobs back. And Michael apologizes for not telling her, and assures her that whatever happens, like, he will let her know, and he won't just disappear. And he also kind of, like, intimates that, like, maybe he won't take the job. Like, he's, like, keeping it up in the air. But yeah, then he grabs... Like, he grabs Jesse. It's like he's picking up Jesse for prom. <laughs> That's what it feels like, honestly. Anyway, so Michael and Jesse meet Marv at the top of, like, what I think is a parking garage. And Marv is there with three armed guards because Marv told them that, like, yes, like, I have, like, big FBI people. They're going to, like, escort me to where the list needs to go. Well, no, they're not. I think because Michael, I think, says like, hey, it's good that you have the security, but they should be getting on the plane with you. And Marv's like, it's fine. We'll f- they'll figure it exactly, out. Exactly. Yeah. Like, but like, there's at least security for this meeting. And Michael's like, no, it's good you have security. You need even more security. But it turns out it's not good that he has security because Michael realizes that all of the security guards have silencers. And that is not a thing that security guards have. And also Marv is acting weird. And also he's named Marv. <laughs> and like he takes the list and like which is on this little thumb drive he hands it over to the gu- the uh, gun guys and immediately apologizes there's like not even any sort of like i mean like michael asks like michael's like hey is something going on what's wrong and then marv immediately apologizes and says that these men threatened his ugly disgusting wife and so he had to give them the list and then the gun guys just shoot marv they don't shoot jesse and michael yeah, it's surprising. But I also think that, you know, fucking chess player yeah. Brennan likes the thrill of the exactly. chase. I think he's flirting. He is flirting. Because that's the thing is that, like, the gun guys get in the car and drive away. But, like, just as they're driving away, we see for a second that Brennan is in the car. Brennan, one of the few bad guys that we actually like. Like, this is a cliffhanger and a reveal of a character that actually makes me happy. Although... I cheered and put both my arms in the air because I wasn't expecting it. And I was so excited to see him. I was like, hell yeah, I love Brennan. I'm, it's actually curious because like, if you, like up to this point, like Brennan has been like a one-off guy. Like he's been in multiple episodes, but it's always like a one and done thing. And so like, I'm not sure if Brennan's around for like an episode again, or if like this is like, if he's like a big bad for like the season, for like the end of the season. I'm very curious to see what they do Brett, with Brennan this third time. Uh, Sorry, I'm not really adding commentary right now. There's a whole army hammer is a cannibal sort of thing going on. Wait, what? What? <laughs> I think it's I think it's fake, but it's like a lot. Uh, where I'm, there's I'm sorry? Ru- there's rumors because of a series of screenshots that were in alleged Instagram DM screenshots of Army Hammer, actor Army Hammer, um, wanting to drink p- women's blood and it being very rooted in like a cannibal fetish and like. <laughs> okay. Okay. First off, I believe <laughs> this is a question that I have discussed with friends in various contexts. I don't think I've ever done it on a podcast. Does drinking blood make you a cannibal? Well, so he- hang on. Let me let me find. Okay, so here is a series of alleged screenshot DM, Instagram DMs from Army Hammer. Oh my god, that just made me so hard and it makes me confused as to why. Is that even possible? So hard. Thinking of controlling your heart in my hand and controlling it when it beats. I'm 100% a cannibal. I want to eat you. Fuck, that's scary for to admit. I've never admitted that before. I've cut out, cut the heart out of a living animal before and eaten it while still warm. 
wild. <laughs> I mean, I don't. That would be a very 2021 thing. It's, yeah. It seems a little too random to be true, but you never know. And like, he's so boring. I like Army Hammer, but he's boring. Well, I'm. I'm not going to be on the record as saying I like Army Hammer if it turns out that he is, in fact, a cannibal. <laughs> I look forward to finding out more about actual cannibal Army Hammer. I need to drink your blood. Why the distance? Oh, my God. When you call me daddy, it, I get so horny. I need your br- blood. I crave it. Will you give it to me tomorrow? Don't forget that you're mine. I'm intense. I need your blood. I want you to feed me with it. Wild. I will say, again, I don't know. This is the question. Is blood drinking cannibalism well what's the definition of cannibalism i mean that's the question like if you ate some consuming another individual of the same species as food so it's specifically food so like if you bite like an attacker's ear and accidentally swallow it it's not cannibalism cannibalism. no like it's like the process of turning people into food yeah so So i don't it depends on why you're drinking the blood if you're getting it for like sexual pleasure then i don't think you're a cannibal necessarily like you could be a cannibal for other reasons but But i don't think blood drinking it could be related but it isn't necessarily like that makes the sense. cause like yeah is he just also like into vor it's uncle i don't think he's into vor because vor is more like self-directed isn't it i mean not necessarily well in any case the alleged dms that are allegedly real um although there's already people popping up saying no they made it up they made it up are pretty explicitly just i want to drink your blood i want to own you yeah i want to like control your pulse this is all this like basic heterosexual shit anyway let's go to spy tips oh yeah we're still doing a podcast huh yeah army hammer confirmed podcast burn notice podcast broke the news <laughs> right when people listen to this months in advance or months later or whatever <laughs> anyway spy tips again we already don't have enough. Like, there is... Yeah, there's there's only four yeah, on this list. There were, Holy can shit. I say, like, I got rid of, like, ones that were, like, just nothing. And there were... But even before, there was just eight. Wow. Like, yeah, I know. And these are four that are, like, at best borderline. Yeah, Lisa Joy does not care about the spy No, tips. she does not. But her last episode was a great episode of Burn Notice, so presumably it had enough, or enough. like it did somewhat so well. It- well, that was a because it was a it was one of like Fiona escaping from kidnapping, so there was like a lot of opportunities yes, for it. That's this right. definitely was not an episode with great opportunities. No. Anyway, here's what we have: spies use different interrogation techniques than police. Cops tend to do their questioning in bright fluorescent lit rooms, and they're legally required to let the bad guys know who they are before they start asking questions. Spies, on the other hand, often start interrogations in darkness in completely unfamiliar locations. And the less the bad guy knows, the better. Is that anything? I don't think so. Because, like, either one, without really having a good sense of what how to do an interrogation, it doesn't matter if it's bright sunlight or pitch darkness. yeah. Like, and like we see him. Obviously, being, we I see him. If I kidnap someone, I don't want them to know anything. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think. But like, they don't say anything about like why starting in the dark is effective. Like, he doesn't say like it psychologically puts people in the mindset of blah blah blah. Yeah, you know what I mean? No, I agree. No, that's nothing. I need to know why they start in the darkness specifically. Yeah, um, and it can't be just All the right, most nothing. obvious reason. Otherwise, that's not a spy tip. It's just a regular tip. Yeah, it's just a hey. Have you thought about this? Right. Next one. 
Napalm, or gelled fuel, is best known for its use in bombs, but it's essentially just gasoline that has been chemically altered to make it sticky and easier to control. It can be used in explosive devices, but it can also be used in any situation where you need to control the shape and size of a flame, which makes it very useful in forest firework, building demolition, and any situation where you want to scare the hell out of someone. Yeah, it's it's on the line, but yeah. it's I've never really known what napalm is. And so now you know. Um... And now I know, and now I know what situations I could use it exactly. for. And if you wanted to make a big, bright circle of fire. If I wanted a circle of trust, I know what to use. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a it's a ring of trust because the circle of trust is trademarked by Meet the Parents. Copyright Ben Stiller's dad-in-law <laughs> from those movies. Next. Anyone who has battled big city traffic knows a traffic jam is just about the easiest thing in the world to create. Any number of fluids poured on a hot engine can create enough smoke to turn a freeway into a parking lot. If you're looking to grab someone stuck in that traffic jam, you need a choke point, a place where road conditions restrict visibility. Your target is likely to be distracted, unarmed, and sitting in your potential getaway vehicle. So, he doesn't tell us what liquids. I mean, but like, any number. <laughs> yeah, but what if I use the wrong one, and I blow I up my fucking car? I what he's car. using in the episode. It might be obvious. I don't think we. I don't think we see it. I think we pull up to Jesse yeah. while he is. That's right. He's already done like, it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's already happened. And also, like, yeah. If I want to create a traffic jam, of course I go to a choke point. Of course I try to go somewhere where there's like the fewest lanes possible. Like, I don't know. I, without the number of fluids, without a specific example, the number is or one any. that's like, but definitely, yeah. Or, it, or at least like a, or at least don't use except for X Y Z. Like, it just feels like pouring liquids into the, like, just pouring any old liquid into the engine of my car seems very dangerous. Well, you're not pouring it, to be fair, you're not pouring it in the engine. You're pouring it on the engine. But still, the fact that there oh, yeah, you wouldn't pour, potentially exists. Yeah, at no point do they say, don't pour gasoline. <laughs> yeah, and my dumbass, well, there's already gasoline in my car. I already How made useful. all this napalm earlier. <laughs> all right, exactly. so no, no go for you? It's mostly liquid. No, that's a no go for me. All right, uh, like like the ep- like last episode where Sam like pulls a string and all the stuff falls out of his his car. If they had told us like how to rig that, yeah, you know, and then been like and make sure like the tables at the back because it's gonna cause the most blah blah. Like that would have been useful. But this like make your engine smoke using some kind of liquid is not enough uh, for me. All right, this last one, which is basically nothing. It's standard protocol for a Homeland Security officer escorting classified materials to be armed. Less standard for their arms to have silencers. I guess that's useful. Because, like, it wouldn't necessarily... I know what a silencer looks like because I've played enough RPGs. But I I maybe wouldn't have really given it thought. Now that, like, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, I guess it doesn't make sense that, like, a security guard would have a silencer. Because, like, what would be the point of that? Like, that's not the point of a security gun. Um, So now that I have that in my mind, that might be useful. That might... Cue me in one day. All right. So we'll keep that one? Yeah. Cool. It's, Why not? Let's, let's give her two. Let's give her two. Two spy tips. Two solid spy tips. Uh, wow. Wow. So it's definitely not enough for practical spy tips. Was it spycraft over violence? This was a very violent episode. It was it was violent, but there was definitely spycraft. Like there was there was the, the napalm. Um, there was, let's see, what else did happen? Yeah. Well, they had to. Pre- well, they they resurrected a dead guy. They yeah, uh, they did that. They did do that. Yeah, no, I'll take it. Was there a new 
or reused alias that was memorable. Yeah, Ray and his circle of trust. Yeah, I liked Ray. I thought Ray was fun. I wish we'd seen more of him. I agree with you that he came into the game a little late, but you know he he made a he made a big entrance. He did. So. I enjoyed Ray. I enjoyed Ray too. All right, so were Fee and Sam used well? This was a Sam episode, so he got. He got a lot to do. I don't think he was particularly Bruce Campbell-y, though. That's true. I, I, and I don't think Fee was used well. Like, her her biggest contribution to the plot is, Michael, I want you to have the opportunity to have your job back yeah. so that you can tell them to fuck off. Exactly. Which, and like, also, she needed to get shoes. Yeah, she did need to get shoes from, she needed to get cop shoes from Madeline. Yeah. Which is a funny detail, but does not mean that Fiona was used well. Yeah. So I don't think Fee, I think it is a Sam episode, so I'll give and it like to Sam. he got to do a lot of acting. He acted so hard. He did. And he did get to briefly be excited about torture. That's true. That's that's a pretty big part of his character. Yeah. So, like, that's like. And he got very dramatic using a crucifixion reference yeah. to try and, like, convince people to come help him. Exactly. No, I think we should give it to Sam because it's a. All right. It's to Sam, but not Fee. Not Fee. So, so that means. So that 2.5 or at. Yeah, so that that means we need Jesse to be interesting enough to be a main character. And Otherwise, it's not a great episode of t- Burn Notice. Was he indeed? Did he do anything this he episode? He tased that bro. He tased that bro. He was in internal affairs. Not really. He accidentally told Madeline about the the fact that they're the getting jobs, their jobs. But back. like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, if anything, he made bad decisions because he was he told Madeline, and also he decided that their contacts should be Marv. Yeah, I don't think he kind of. I don't think he did anything this episode. Yeah, so I don't think this is a great episode of Burn Notice. I don't think it was. Oh my! Like again, like I said, Lisa Joy tends to write off-brand Burn Notices. But the question is, was it a great episode of television? No, no, I don't think so either. I thought it was a little bit of a slog. I'm not like that into masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> understatement of the year so like yeah a whole episode that's like dripping with it it's like eh. and i i don't love like anything where like sam really hits his like kind of cop military vibe yeah so that's like not my favorite thing yeah it's hard to really engage with episodes about like cops and you know weeding out the dirty like because the existence of a dirty cop in a tv show implies that most tops or that most cops in the show are not dirty, and it's surprising that there is a dirty cop. I will say, which is a fundamental misunderstanding of the police force in America. I will say there are a lot of tops that are dirty. Yeah. Well, my my point being is like, it's hard to engage with a cop narrative. No, I I don't think you heard me. I said tops. I was making a fun sex joke. So yeah, it's not an interesting episode of television, or not a great episode of television. Not a great episode of Burn Notice. It's just an episode of television. It's simply an episode of I'm excited about next week. Too though. bad because I'm I am excited about next week. I love me some Brennan. And it's funny though that like we were so underwhelmed by this episode given that I'm pretty sure the Lisa Joy episode from mid season is gonna be our standout of the season. A thing that I've started doing. Yeah, no, I noticed that. <laughs> Like, well, because there needed to be a thing on, I've made a, if, if you guys aren't following us on Twitter, you need to be following yeah, us no, on Twitter. We do all sorts Twitter. of fun nonsense on Twitter. Then you'll also get to be front row seats to all of the CIA, um, like, conspiracies that that guy tweeted at us. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but you'll also get to see all these fun new graphics I'm making. Please having fun. I am having fun. But yeah, so uh, check out our Twitter for that. 
At Burn Notice Pod. Also, thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vince, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com and you should do that. Um, otherwise, uh, there's nothing left to say, but bye. Does drinking blood make you a cannibal? Let us know on Twitter. Please do. Bye, folks. Bye.